Amen. Well, good morning, Haynes Creek. How's everybody doing today? I'll take that. That's fine. Uh, well, it is good to be with you. My name is Travis. I'm the pastor here. If it is your first time, I want to say a special welcome to you. We are thrilled that you are here checking things out, visiting with us, and I would love a chance uh, just to reach out and say thank you so much for your visit. So if you do me a huge favor, at some point, just text the word welcome to that number that you see on the screen. That's all you got to do. Just text welcome to that number. And like I said, that'll give me a chance to reach out and just say thank you so much for your visit. So if you give me that opportunity, uh, I would really appreciate that. Uh, if you prefer uh, a more old school approach, we have cards and pens on our table outside. Uh, please stop by there. Before you head out, you can fill one out one of those. Um, we have a free gift we'd love to put in your hands as well. So again, please stop by there before you head out today. Uh, and you caught us at a great time. We are, we are right at the beginning of our new series going verse by verse through the book of Acts. So last week, we, we looked at the first eight verses, and, and we saw uh, the, the final words that Jesus gives to his disciples in verse eight. And he calls them uh, to go and be his witnesses and go spread over all of creation, all of the world, uh, being his witnesses. And we saw it in verse six that the disciples want Jesus to start this earthly kingdom, right? Like they want him to be an earthly king, defeat the Romans, bring Israel, the nation of Israel, back to political prominence in the area, restore it to the time of King David. But Jesus is like, no, no, it's not time for that. We're not doing that right now. What I am doing is expanding my spiritual kingdom. And that's why he calls us, his followers, to participate in that, to be his witnesses, giving us power from the Holy Spirit to go and spread his message. And so today we're going to look at, at what happens right after Jesus is done sharing these words, what happens next. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 1, and um, we're going to be in verses 9 through 11 today. I know, I'm making a ton of progress. I know, I'm very excited about that. Uh, three verses. Uh, we're going to look at verses 9 through 11. We're going to see what happens. As Jesus says these final words, he then departs. He goes back to heaven, and this is referred to as the ascension of Jesus. Jesus ascends back into heaven. So let's look at, see what happens here. So Acts chapter one, if you don't have your Bibles, it's totally fine. You can follow along on the screens behind me. We also have uh, Bibles back here on our table. We'd love for you to take one of those as our gift to you. But Acts chapter one, starting in verse nine, it says this. And when he had said these things, they were looking on. He was, as, he was, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And, he said, and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. All right, so this is, as Jesus says his last words, and then he ascends back to heaven. He goes back to heaven. Now, we spend a lot of time, when we talk about Jesus, we talk about Jesus' life, right? That Jesus came, was born of a virgin, uh, we, we celebrate that at Christmas, he lived a perfect life. We talk a lot about the life of Jesus, talk about his miracles, all those good things. Uh, we talk a lot about the death of Jesus, and rightfully so, right? His death on the cross, his sacrificial death, paves the way for our salvation and forgiveness. And we talk a lot about his resurrection. We're going to see that all throughout the book of Acts. They are, they are preaching a risen Savior. Jesus is not dead, he is alive. So we talk about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, but we don't spend a lot of time talking about the ascension. We don't spend the time uh, talking about the ascension. So I wanted to, to pause today, before we go any further in the book of Acts, let's pause, let's focus on what happens here in these three verses. Because even in his ascending back to heaven, Jesus accomplishes a great deal. 
Now, we can't spend our entire time talking about everything he does, but I want to give you three things. Three things today that Jesus accomplishes, that Jesus does through his ascension. So let's, let's jump right into this. Uh, number one, the first thing he does, first thing he does, point number one, Jesus ascends to fix our vision. Jesus ascends to fix our vision. Let, let's go back to verses 9 through 11, and, and what you're going to see is there, there's five references. So these are three verses, and within three verses, Luke, the author here, references some sort of seeing, uh, your eyesight, something that you're looking at. He references five different times. Five different times he references something like that. So if you, if you underline things in your Bible, I want you to underline these things. Look at verse 9. First mention is, and when he said these things, they were looking on. So underline looking on there. He was lifted up, and then a cloud took him out of their sight. Underline the word sight there. And in verse 10, while they were gazing into heaven. Underline gazing there. And then in verse 11, we see two more times. Uh, the angels say, why do you stand looking into heaven? Underline looking there. And then they say, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come the same way as you saw. Underline saw. That's five references to, to looking at something, to seeing something. Now, just like for us, when we repeat things, we do it for a reason. Like we don't just repeat things. Most of us, at least, don't repeat it ourselves just because we like hearing ourselves talk. No, we, we repeat ourselves to make a point, to, to drive home something. And it's the same way with Scripture, same way with Scripture. So when you're, when you're reading your Bibles, when, when you see things that are repeated, whether it's words, ideas, themes, phrases, pay attention. Pay attention. This is why we got to, when we read our Bible, this is why we got to go slow. We, we don't, we're not going to find these things. We're not going to see the repetition if we do the, you know, a verse a day keeps the devil away kind of mindset. No, we, we need more than that. We need more than that. We got we to slow down sometimes. We got to slow down and reread and focus in. So when you see things repeated, pay attention. So what's, what is Luke doing here? He's drawing our attention to something. And it's, it's explained by the two angels. The two angels come and appear. So the disciples, Jesus ascends. I mean, imagine you were there too. I mean, I think we would all do this. Jesus, he's right here in physical form, and then he ascends into heaven in a cloud. I think we would all be like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? And then so these two angels come, and they're like, y'all, what are you looking at? What are you, you, you're just looking at the sky. You're, just look, you're looking at the sky. The same Jesus that just ascended, he's coming back. You don't need to stand here staring into the sky. Fix your eyes on something else. So uh, my wife and I have three kids. I think you guys know that. But our, our oldest is our son, Zayden. Uh, and he's, he's all boy. So he's six years old. He's all boy. Loves being just a wild little boy. And, and like he's super into trucks, like super into trucks to the point where like he is telling me things about construction vehicles that I'm just like, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. I have no idea any of the words you're using, but like, he's just, he knows all about it, and he's just telling me all about it, and I'm like, man, I, I don't even know, so he's all boy, but one of the things I think that makes him most like a boy, most like a man, uh, he hates having his picture taken, hates having his picture taken, now I'm not going to alienate all the guys, some, some guys out there, maybe, maybe some in here, you love having your picture taken, maybe that's you, you know, praise be to God for that, we all do our different things, but, but for me, like, I, I'm like, I just, I don't like it, I don't like it, and Zayden's the same way, does not like having his picture taken, uh, but my wife loves taking pictures, loves capturing the memories that we have. Like if it was just me, there'd be no pictures anywhere of anything happening. We'd have no memories to look back on and go, oh, you remember that fun time. But thankfully we have my wife who captures these moments. And one of the things that Zayden does is he just hates having his picture taken. So I'm, I, I try to coach him up. I'm like, hey, buddy, mommy's going to take some pictures. Like all you got to do is just, just look at the camera, smile, just do that one time. All she needs is one. She just needs one picture. You do that one time, we're good to go. We're done. But he, you know, he struggles with that. And one of the things... He does, when he has his picture taken, is his head is looking at the camera, but his eyes are looking somewhere else. His 
eyes are over here looking at this. His face is there, but his eyes are, you know, anywhere but the camera. So we're constantly like, Satan, look at the camera. Look at, look at mommy. Look at daddy. Look whoever's taking the picture. And uh, one time we were, we were kind of getting on him about this a little bit, and he, he blurts out in, anger, in frustration. He goes, I can't control my eyes. I'm like, yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can, son. He's like, no, I can't control my eyes. Like, yes, you can just fix your eyes here. And that, this is what the angels are, are basically saying to the disciples. Their eyes are fixed in the sky. And he's like, y'all, back over here. Back to reality here. Get your eyes off of the sky and focus on Jesus. Fix your eyes on, on Christ. As his followers, we're not just supposed to stand there staring at the sky. No, that's not what we're supposed to do. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus. We're to fix our eyes on what's coming, on the promise of Jesus coming again. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we focus on him, that gives us motivation to live for him in the here and now. That gives us motivation to live in the here and now. Look at what Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and here's the ascension, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So how do we, how do we live this life for Jesus? How, how do we live for Jesus in the here and now? We, we cast aside our sin. We, we stop living for our sin. We stop living for the things of this world, and we fix our eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We focus on him. We live for him. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 puts it this way. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Okay, so this is what the Bible talks about. This new life in Jesus. It talks about us being made alive. We're raised from our old life living in sin. We are raised with Jesus. We're living this new life in him. And how do we do that? We set our hearts on him. We fix our eyes, our minds. We set our hopes, our, our loves, our desires. We fix them on Jesus. We fix them on Jesus. And if we were to continue reading in Colossians chapter 3, you find out Paul says, hey, you want to know how to fix your heart on Jesus, fix your heart on the things that are above? You put to death your sin, and you put on this new life in Christ. You put to death your sin, and you put on this new way of living for Jesus. That's how we do this. So the ascension, focusing on, on Jesus, the ascended Jesus sitting at the throne of God, when we, when we focus on Jesus, it corrects our vision. It corrects our vision. It calls us and leads us and, and should motivate us to live all the more for Jesus in the here and now. And some, some of the more practical ways this happens is when we do this, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we focus on living for him, it, it helps us fight off our sin. It helps us fight off our sin. And this is what Paul is talking about in Colossians Chapter three, it helps us fight off our sin. We're not, we're not so led astray by the things of this world, right? We don't, we don't desire and love and want the things of this world so much. We focus on Jesus when we set our hearts on him. We start to desire him more. We start to desire his ways more. This is how we fight off sin. 
It's not just, oh, I just got to try harder. I just got to do more things. No, we, we, we need to fall in love more with Jesus. We need to desire Jesus more. We need to hold the things of this world loosely and hold on to Jesus tightly. That's how we fight off sin. Focusing on Jesus, fixing our eyes on him, it gives us hope and comfort even in these darkest of times, even in our moments of pain and suffering. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, it gives us hope and comfort. It gives us hope and comfort. Look, I, I know like some of us are, are walking through a really difficult, hard season right now. And what, when we focus on Jesus, when we remember not only has Jesus ascended, but that he's coming back one day, what that reminds us of as followers of Jesus, what that reminds us of is our suffering and pain in this life, it has an expiration date. It has an expiration date. It will not last forever. What does last forever is our life with Jesus, our life with him. So when we focus on him, when we focus on the truth that, that, that Jesus is now reigning in heaven, that he's coming back again to make all things right, to set all things right, that's what gives us hope. That's what gives us comfort. That's what gives us peace, even in our darkest valleys. The uh, last thing, uh, another thing that, that it does when we fix our eyes on Jesus, it encourages mission and evangelism. It encourages mission and evangelism. But it's not by accident that, that this comes right after verse 8, right? Like right after verse 8 where Jesus says, hey, you will be my witnesses and you're going to go all over the world with this saving message of Jesus. Right after he says that, he ascends. He ascends. And his ascension and the promise of his return should motivate us for mission and evangelism right here, right now. Should motivate us. It, it, Jesus, Jesus leaves, and we're going to talk about this more when we get into Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus leaves so the Holy Spirit can come and empower us for mission. Right? Like Jesus departs, Jesus leaves and calls us to carry on his work, carry on his saving message. This should motivate us for evangelism and mission. So, so Jesus ascends to first fix our vision. The second thing, Jesus ascends to rule. Jesus ascends to rule. See, when Jesus ascends, it's important to know where he ascends to, right? And just disappear into the clouds. No, he goes somewhere. And that somewhere is heaven. He ascends back into heaven. That's what the angels say. Jesus has gone back into heaven. So Jesus ascends to heaven, and, and as we've seen here in a couple of these verses already, when, when the Bible talks about the ascended Jesus, they, they refer to him as, as in the throne of God, at the throne of God, at the right hand of the Father. These are images of, of power and rule and authority. I look at uh, one of my favorite passages uh, is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says this about Jesus. This is describing Jesus as he is right now. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And listen to this. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is Jesus. 
This is our God. He is at the right hand of the Father. He is upholding the entire universe. Think about that for a second. Upholding the entire universe by the power of his word. The power of his word. Upholding everything. That's Jesus ascended to the right hand of power. Philippians 2, 9 through 10 talks about it this way. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus has ascended, and through his ascension, God has exalted him above everything. Exalted him above everything, given him all glory, all power, all honor. He's exalted him above it all. So this is, this is Jesus as he currently is, right? It's not the, the, the long, flowing hair, white Jesus that we see in pictures. No, that, that's not Jesus, right? That, that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus as he was on earth either, but we'll talk about that another time. Uh, that, that's not Jesus, right? No, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God in power, ruling over all of creation, upholding everything by the power of his word, exalted above everything, everything. That's Jesus. That's who he is. So what, is it, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? Just what does this mean for me that Jesus is ruling uh, practically? Well, one, it means that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now, that's an, that's an archaic term. We don't typically go around referring people at, to or in our lives as Lord, right? Like, I don't, we, don't, we don't use that title very often here, especially in America. I don't call people Lord. But what Lord means is, is king. It means ruler. It means boss. It means the CEO, the guy in charge. That's what Lord means, and that's that's who Jesus is. As the scriptures talk about it, Jesus, he's ruling in authority and power over everything, over every aspect of creation, including us. Including us. Including our lives. He's in charge of it all. He's over it all. He is Lord of all. He's the boss of everything. And look, those of us that claim to be Jesus' followers, if we claim to follow Jesus, what that means is he's Lord over our lives. He's boss over my life. He's ruler over my life. He's the CEO of Travis's life. He's in charge of my life. That's what it means. So that means when we see Jesus, when he says to do stuff in his word, it's coming from that level of authority. This is, Jesus is not like, you know, we see something in his word and it's like, oh, Jesus tells his followers to do that. Okay, you know, I'll think about that, Jesus. I'll consider that. You know, thank, thank you for your thoughts, Jesus ruler of everything. That, that's a great thought. Let me take it under consideration. Let me take it under advisement, and I'll get back to you. Right? That's, that's, not, that's not what that means. That's not what it means for Jesus to be Lord of our lives. We don't, we don't take it as, you know, let me, let me hear Jesus's opinion. Let me see what he thinks about this, and then I'll go from there. No, when Jesus speaks, we follow that. That's what it means to follow him. That's what it means to live for him. That's what it means for him to be Lord and boss of our lives. When we see things in his word, they they are not suggestions. They're meant to be followed. That's what it means to have Jesus be the Lord of our lives. But if we're honest with ourselves, I know if I'm honest with myself, there are times where where I try to be Lord, right? Where, Where I try to be the boss of my life, where I do take, oh, Jesus, okay, that's nice that you said that, but I'm gonna go do whatever I wanna do, right? 
whether it comes to, to sharing the gospel, whether it comes to, to even attending church regularly or being in community or, or being held accountable or, or whatever it is, be, being a follower of Jesus in the workplace. I mean, any number of things. It's not, it's not me being the boss of my life. It's me living in submission to Jesus, following Jesus. We don't get to just bring him along as, as some advisor in our lives. No, that's not what it looks like. He doesn't follow us. We, we follow him. We follow him. We live for him. That's what it means to be his follower. We follow him. We walk in obedience to him because he is Lord. Now, the second thing what that means, that Jesus is, is ruling and reigning right now over everything, it means we can trust him. It means we can trust him. He's our Lord, and we can trust him. See, Jesus is not some evil dictator sitting on a throne just, you know, constantly yelling at us and berating at us and, and making us feel terrible for never measuring up. But sometimes we, we, we can have that vision of God, right? Sometimes we can, we can feel that in our, in our just made up, you know, that's not really how God is, but sometimes we, we kind of just create this vision of God just sitting down and constantly looking at us in disappointment, right? Like constantly looking at us and go, Travis, can't believe you messed up again. I told you not to do that, man. Why are you doing that? Like that's, that's sometimes how we can view God. But he is not some evil dictator just, just dictating to us, some evil king where it's like, no, Travis, jump through all these hoops and then maybe I'll love you. Maybe I'll care for you. Maybe I'll provide for you. Maybe I'll come through. No, that, that's, that's not Jesus. That's not God. That's not the picture of God that we're, we're given. No, the picture is of somebody who loves us deeply, who finds joy in providing and blessing those of us that are his followers, his kids, his children. Like he loves to do that. So we don't, we don't follow him and, and walk in obedience to him because we're, we're scared of what might happen. We're scared of stepping out of line and, and upsetting God. No, we, we follow him because he first loved us, because he gave his life for us, because he's a good God that we can trust. He says this in, in Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that for those who love God, all things, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those of us that love God, all things, all things, God is working together for his good. All things, everything. That's what that means. All things, everything going on in my life right now, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever. God is at work and he's working all things together for good. For good. And I can trust that. Again, even, even, in those, even in those valleys, even in those moments of pain, even in our suffering, even in our darkness, our God is at work. He's at work. He doesn't just send us into the valley and say, hey, Travis, life's about to get really hard. Call me when you get on the other side. I'd love to chat about that. No, he's right there in the valley with us guiding us, holding our hand, carrying us sometimes through the valley, right? Carrying us through that, bringing us through our pain and our darkness. He doesn't leave us there. He carries us through it. And we can trust that, that all things are going to work for his good. And how can we trust that? How can we believe that? It's because of the ascension. It's because right now he is in power over everything. He's in charge of everything. Everything. So when he says, I'm working all things together for good, he's the only one who can say that with full authority because he's the one that can do anything. If he says, I'm working for good, he actually is because he can. 
Nothing can stop our God. Nothing can stop his work. Nothing can stop his will. Nothing can. He's in control over it all. He's over it all. And he's constantly at work. But we can trust this. There's tons of examples in scripture that I can point to you for this. My, my favorite is the life of Joseph. The life of Joseph. And I'm going to give you a high-level overview here. But, but Joseph, so he was uh, one of 12 brothers, you know, 12 sons uh, of Jacob, 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Jacob was the youngest, or one of the youngest. And, uh, and his brothers hated him, right? His brothers couldn't stand him. So he was a little arrogant, a little prideful. I mean, we can, we can, he can own that a little bit. Uh, but his brothers didn't like him. Hated him, in fact, because he was his father's favorite son. And, uh, and so what they did was they, they decided, a good idea, throw, throw him into a well and sell him into slavery, right? So they sold their own brother into slavery. And that's just like the beginning of Joseph's troubles. Like he gets sold into slavery, makes his way down to Egypt. Then he gets falsely accused of something and gets put in prison for years, for years. I mean, try to imagine the level of pain and suffering and despair that Joseph was feeling in those days. But God was at work, right? God was at work. And God worked through his time in prison and eventually connected him with Pharaoh, the, the most powerful guy in Egypt, which was the most powerful nation in the world at this time. And Joseph gets, gets put second in command over the nation of Egypt. I mean, that's crazy, right? But it, and it's through that, it's through being the prime minister of Egypt that God uses Joseph's place of power to save his family from a famine, saves his family, gives them food, preserves the nation of Israel. And I love this. In Genesis 50, 20, I don't have it for the screen, but in Genesis 50, verse 20, uh, Joseph, talking to his family, talking to his brother, says this, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. What you meant for evil and pain and suffering, God meant for good. Now, here's what this means. What that means is God doesn't, you know, he's not like 911, right? When something goes bad, then we call God, and then God comes in, and he acts, and he does his thing. No, God is not the ambulance driver coming into a mess and going, oh, man, what happened here? Wasn't aware of this. Wasn't sure what was going on. Okay, yeah, let me try to help and fix this and try to make it good. Like, let me try to take the situation and make it good. No, that's not what it says. What it says is, is what we mean for evil, what we think we're, we're doing and trying to, to make evil things happen, God is at work in those very moments, working them for his good. Working for his good. So look, even in our darkest moments, even in our moments of pain and suffering and difficulty, God is at work. And, and sometimes we're, we're gonna be carried through that. We're gonna be carried through that and we can look back on the other side like Joseph did and say, hey, you... Those things that I thought were happening, that were evil, that this world or, or God, whoever was, was working for evil, God was actually looking for good, right? Like God was actually making things good. And now I can see on the other side of that, all these things that God was doing. Sometimes the Lord gives us the grace to, to see that, which is awesome. But look, to be, to be real with you, to be honest with you, like sometimes we're not going to see that until the other side of heaven, right? The other side of this life where we can see, as, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, and we can see things perfectly with perfect knowledge, and we can look back and go, oh man, I see what you're doing, Lord. I see what you're doing there, God. I see, man, if that didn't happen, then this wouldn't happen, then that we just see God at work. So sometimes we'll see it here, sometimes we'll see it later, but we can trust and believe and put our hope and our confidence in that our God is at work. Our God is at work. He is always faithful as we just sang. As we just sang, he will never let us down. And we can trust that. We can trust that because our God is faithful and he has the power 
to actually carry these things through. All right, so Jesus ascends to fix our vision. Jesus ascends to rule. And our third point, Jesus ascends to be our advocate. Jesus ascends to be our advocate. Look at what 1 John 2.1 says. So Jesus ascends to be our advocate. He says uh, this in, in 1 John chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, which that really means when you sin, because we all sin, right? John's already made that point clear in First John chapter 1. But, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. Christ Jesus, the perfect one, the righteous one. So Jesus is our advocate. Now, what does that mean? That word advocate means someone who speaks on behalf of someone else. It means someone that, that speaks on behalf of someone else, particularly those that are accused of something. Those that are thinking of it as a defense attorney, right? Coming in to defend and speak on behalf of someone, especially those that are accused. That's who Jesus is. He's our advocate. He's speaking on our behalf to God the Father when we sin, which is all the time, right? So he's a busy guy. It's Hebrews 7, verses 25 and 26 puts it this way. Consequently, he, this is Jesus, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and here's the ascension, and exalted above the heavens. He's exalted above the heavens. And what is he doing, exalted above the heavens? What is he doing sitting at the right hand of the throne of God? What's his job? What's his task? What's he always living to do? Making intercession for us. Making intercession for us. Being our advocate. So because of the ascension, through the ascension, because he's exalted over everything, he lives to make intercession. That word intercession is similar to the word for advocate. Similar to the word for advocate. It's what advocates do. They, they intercede. They, they come in between somebody and they speak on their behalf. They speak on their behalf. They make requests on their behalf. So practically, what, is, what does this mean for me today that, that Christ is my advocate, that he's living to make intercession for me. Well, again, I think if, if we could be honest with ourselves for a moment, I think if we could be honest with ourselves for this moment, to one degree or another, uh, some more than others maybe, sometimes more than others, I, I, we live our lives very aware of what other people think about us. We live our lives very aware about what people think or what people may think about us, right? Like just just think about that for a moment. You're like, no, I don't, no, I don't. We do, we do. It's, it's why we try to present ourselves in a certain way in public, right? We, we, we dress a certain way at different times and other times maybe we're a little bit more relaxed and casual. I mean, I know you come see me on a Friday, I'm gonna be in sweatpants, a sweatshirt, and a Miami heat hat. Like, that's just how I live my life most days. Honestly, when I'm working from home, that's my dress and attire all the time. Um, and maybe one day the Lord will see fit where I could wear that on a Sunday and preach. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see what the Lord does in his grace. Um, but, we, you know, we, we present ourselves in a certain way at certain times for certain situations. Why? Because we wanna be perceived in a certain way. We wanna look a certain way. Uh, yeah, think about how we perceive our marriage. Like nobody's typically going around and going, hey, y'all, let me tell you about this blow up that I just had with my wife. Let me tell you about how I was a jerk to my wife and just tell you this awesome story. Like we don't typically do that, right? Like nobody's just jumping. Let me tell you about the latest argument I had with my spouse. Nobody does that for the most part. Some of y'all do, which is awesome and, and very funny for me to listen to. But uh, most of the time we don't do that. 
I think about this, those of you with little kids like me, when your kids are in a store and they're acting a fool, which they will do and love to do, how often are we like, okay, who's, who's, why would y'all just stop? Would you stop? Calm down, calm down. Right? Like, we're getting nervous because we, we know, like, other eyes are on us, other parents are looking at us, or that, that person that brings their kid on the plane and is just screaming and crying. Like, you're very aware of what people may be thinking at that point. You want to be the parent that's just yelling at your kid in the, in the aisle, right? You want to be the kid or the parent that's like threatening time out or threatening to take away something you get home. It's just like, please be quiet, please be quiet. Like, we want to be seen as, as good parents. We want to be seen as having our act together. We want to be seen as having a good marriage. I mean, think about social media, right? Like, this is, this is the danger of social media is because it, it allows us to present this fake view of our lives, Right? This fake view of our lives where it seems like we've got everything together. I don't think any, I'm not really on social media, but uh, from what I gather, I don't think anybody's waking up in the morning, snapping a selfie and posting that thing every single day, right? Like most of us are not taking a picture of how we look first thing in the morning, mostly because nobody needs to see all that, right? But like we just, we don't want to do that because we want to present ourselves in a certain way. Right? We want to present ourselves and look a certain way. And social media allows us this opportunity to leave out the messy parts of our lives, right? to leave out the broken parts of our lives. Or when you do have something broken, you can type up this long blog post about how look at this, this awesome moment and this brokenness and God worked and moved and powered and it was just amazing. And now I'm praising God all the more. Like we, it allows us to do those kind of things. But I think, uh, you know, if, again, if we're honest, we, we tend to live our lives very aware of what people may think about us. Now, why is that? Why is that? I think at a base level, again, it varies from, from person to person, from situation to situation, but at a base level, I think it's because we're, we're wanting, in some way, shape, or form, we're wanting some kind of approval or acceptance from other people. We're wanting some kind of approval or acceptance, or uh, on the other side of that, we're, we're being scared of being judged. We're being scared of having a verdict labeled against us of, of having a bad marriage, of, of having a messy life, of, of not being able to parent and control our kids like other people out there, right? Like we're, we're scared of this verdict being given to us, or we're scared about being found out for who we truly are, right? And if, if I didn't have this facade up, if I didn't present this self, well, then, then people would really know that, man, my, my life is kind of a mess, and I really don't have my act together. I really don't know what I'm doing most of the time, right? Like we, we, we're scared for being found out. I, I struggle with that sometimes. I struggle with all of this at times. There are times that, that I feel a need to present myself a certain way or to be seen in a certain light or, or pressured to say something or make some sort of decision so that, so that somebody would just like me and say, hey, you're doing a good job. Like, you know, we, we all have this moment sometimes. We all revert back to middle school at certain times in our lives, right? Just desperate for approval, desperate to not be found out for who we truly are. But here's Here's how Jesus' ascension and his advocacy corrects all of that. Because through Jesus' ascension, through Jesus being our advocate, one of the things that means, I don't have to fear judgment. I don't have to fear judgment. I don't have to fear being judged because the gospel tells me that through faith in Jesus, through faith in Jesus Christ, all of my sins are forgiven. All of my sins, past, present, future sins, all forgiven by Jesus all forgiven by Jesus. And every time I mess up, as 1 John 2 says, when you sin, if you sin, Jesus is your advocate. So when I sin, every time I mess up, Jesus is right there before God the Father speaking on my behalf. He lives to make intercession for us, speaking on my behalf. 
Now, I think sometimes I can have this picture of Jesus like re- talking God into reluctantly giving me a second chance, right? Like it's, it's like, hey, uh, hey, God, you, you, you know, Travis, yeah, that, that knucklehead down there. Yeah, he, uh, he, you know that thing that he said he was never going to do again? Yeah, well, he did it again. And now he's asking for a second chance. I mean, could you maybe, could think, Lord, you, you think maybe you could give him a second chance? Like, like, sometimes I think that's what's going on. Like, sometimes with my kids, like, when they're, they're acting crazy and I'm, like, having to give them a consequence, I'm like, give me a second chance, give me a second chance. And I'm like, fine, fine, I'll give you a second chance. Like, sometimes I feel like that's what God's doing, but that's not really what God's doing. That's not God at all. No, when, when we sin, when we mess up, when Jesus makes intercession, when he goes to God the Father and he says, hey, you know Travis, you know that guy? He, he said he wasn't gonna do that thing again, but then he did that thing again. He messed up again, and now he's asking for forgiveness. What are we gonna do? Uh, we should forgive him, right? Because my blood has covered all of that. And God in joy and in love does that. Because here's the thing about faith in Jesus. When we, when we put our faith in Jesus, we are covered with Christ's righteousness. We are covered with Christ's perfection. So when God looks at me, he doesn't see the mess that I am. He doesn't see how much of a, of a sinner I still struggle to be at times. He doesn't see all of that. All he sees is Jesus' blood and righteousness and perfection covering me. Romans 8 Verse one says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Count of three, I want you guys to say no condemnation. One, two, three, no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Nobody to accuse us. Nobody to come after us. No, it's all been taken care of. There is no one to accuse, no one to condemn because Jesus has covered me. I don't have to fear judgment. I don't have to fear being accused. I don't have to fear a guilty verdict anymore because Jesus has taken care of all of that. Another thing that Jesus' advocacy does for us is it means that I don't have to fear not being good enough. I don't have to fear judgment. I don't have to fear not being good enough. So the gospel tells me that because of what Jesus has done for me, because of what he did for us on the cross, through his death, resurrection, and ascension, what that tells me is that I have complete love and acceptance and approval from God at all times. At all times. I don't, I don't have to live in guilt and shame anymore. I don't have to live with that guilt and shame knowing that I've messed up again because that's not how God sees me. I don't, have to, I don't have to worry about constantly earning things from God, right? Like I feel like sometimes we just, we feel like we gotta try and try and try and then we, we struggle and sometimes the message, and hopefully not from here, but sometimes the message from Christians is we just, you, just, you just gotta try harder. You just gotta try harder. Come to church more. Go to Bible study more. Pray more, like some, yeah, sometimes we need to do that, right? Like sometimes you should be doing that. But we don't, we don't try. We don't, we don't seek to earn from God. There's no earning. There's no earning. Look, and here's the beauty of the gospel. Here's the beauty. Sometimes we just, we feel, or I feel, I'll just speak for myself. Sometimes I feel like, man, I'm, I'm never gonna measure up. And what the gospel tells me is I'm right about that. I'm never going to measure up to Jesus's standard because it's perfect. His standard is perfection. I can't measure up to that. I can't measure up to that. But the beauty of the gospel tells me I don't have to. 
I don't have to. Because Jesus has already done that. I don't have to earn from God. I don't have to worry about not being good enough because Jesus has already taken that. He's already taken care of that. I don't have to worry if I'm going to be accepted or approved by God because I'm already accepted and approved because of what Jesus has done. He's already done that. And again, through my faith in Jesus, I'm covered in Christ's righteousness and perfection. He takes care of it all. He gives me all the love and acceptance and approval, and I'm so desperate to find us elsewhere. Jesus offers us that in full. See, he sees who we truly are, right? Like, he, he sees through that facade. We can't hide things from God. He sees right through that. He sees all of my messes. He sees all of those secret sins. He knows all the times that I say, God, I'm never going to do this again. And then the next day, I do that very thing that I said I was never going to do again. He knows all of that. He sees all of that. And he still says, I love you. I love you. And I accept you. And I approve you. Not because of what I've done. Not because of what you've done. It's all because of what Jesus has done for us. The end of Romans 8 goes like this. Romans 8, starting in verse 31, it says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or disease or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What good news is that? What good news? Nothing, church, nothing. Not this world, not our pain, not our suffering, not our difficulty, not our sin, not not all the times we fail, not all the times we, we live for ourselves rather than God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. That is such good news. To those of us who who may be struggling in this moment, who may may be living in fear of judgment or fear of being found out, or maybe you're... You're just caught in this this desire to find approval and acceptance in this life. If that's you, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to think for a moment. Think for a moment how how freeing it would be to have all of those things. How freeing would it be to have that, that love and approval and acceptance you so desire? 
How freeing would it be for somebody to see everything about who you are and still love you? How freeing would that be? How would that feel? Oh, man, it feels good, right? It feels good. That's what we have in Jesus. That's what's offered to us through Christ. That's what the gospel tells us. We have all of that and more in Jesus. And it's offered to all who would believe. All who would believe. So believer here in, in the room, you put your faith in Jesus. If you're here and, and maybe you're struggling living for this world, you know, you've got your eyes on this world rather than your eyes on Jesus. Or you're living for yourself or you're, you're chasing after the acceptance and approval from, from other people or other things in this world. I want you to remind yourself of the gospel. I want you to preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself that, that Jesus is the better way, that he is the better way, that it is only through him that we can find truth, that we can find acceptance, that we can find approval, that we can find love and freedom. It's only through him that we can have those things. And I want you to let the truth, what we've seen here today, I want you to let the truth of Jesus' ascension help correct your vision and fix your eyes on him. Repent, come, come back to Jesus. Come back to the love of the Father. Come back to him. And if you're here and, and you've never put your faith in Jesus, You've never put your faith in Jesus. I, I want to encourage you. Stop searching. Stop seeking. Stop, stop living in fear. Stop trying to earn. Stop trying to find approval and acceptance. And come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. It's only through him that we can have all of that. It's only through, through him that we can have the love and acceptance that we so desire, that we so long for. It's only through him that we can live in, in confidence of not being accused, of not being found out because, because he sees us for who we truly are and he still loves us and he still died on the cross for us and he still wants to save us and forgive us. And all we have to do is turn to him in faith. All we have to do is put our faith in Jesus and say, yes, you say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know you know everything about me. I want to put my faith in you. I want to trust in you. I want to live for you, Jesus. When we turn to him in faith, when we turn to him believing in him, he promises that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So call on him. As Hebrews 7 says, he saves to the uttermost. He saves completely and fully. To turn to Jesus. The moment I'm, we're going to pray, the band's going to come back up and, and lead us in, in our last couple of worship songs. And, and this, is, this is a time of, of worship, and it's also a time of communion. Uh, so for those in the room that have put their faith in Jesus, this is a time for us uh, to just spend a moment maybe in prayer, maybe in repentance. Maybe, maybe you do need to, to, to come back to Jesus, to fix your eyes back on him, to stop living for the things or the acceptance, the approval of this world. Maybe take a moment and center your heart on Jesus. And then as, as you're ready, as you feel led, we have, we have the elements on either side of the room here. We, we take the bread, we, we take 
the cup and we, we eat and we drink and we remember and we celebrate and we identify ourselves with our risen Savior. We thank him, we praise him, we worship him for, for giving his life for ours, for dying the death that we deserved and being raised from the dead, the salvation that he alone can provide. So we worship him, we praise him. So as you feel led, you take the elements, come back to see you, you eat, you drink, and we, we worship Jesus. Again, for those who, who might not be believers here in the room, that this, this time isn't for you. I'm thankful that you're here. I love that you're here. I want you to keep coming. But this is a time for believers to, to identify with Jesus' sacrifice and worship him. But I want you to know that, that offer is for you. His table is open. And again, all we got to do is put our faith in him. And you do that just by, you know, it's not magic words. It's not a magic prayer that you have to say. It's just, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I want you to save me. I'm trusting in you to do that. That's all it takes. That's all it takes, putting your, your life and your heart in his hands. So if that's you today, I would encourage you, just tell Jesus that, right? Like, just tell him those things, and then come and eat, and then, and then come tell me so I can celebrate with you and jump up and down and be a crazy person because Jesus has saved you, and that is worth celebrating, y'all. It's incredible. Let me pray for us, and then we'll step into a time of worship and communion. Jesus, I thank you for your word today, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, that you have ascended, Lord, and you are right now seated at the right hand of God and ruling and reigning in power and in perfection and in love, Jesus. I thank you that we can trust you. Lord, let us put our lives in your hands, our, our good God and Savior, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. I thank you for interceding for us, Lord. I thank you for the gospel and all that it tells me, Jesus. Lord, help me fix my eyes on you. Help me live for you, Jesus. We love you. We give you all the praise and glory and honor. It's your name we pray. Amen.